Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The List. My name is Brett. Jordan is my co-host, as always, and we are on camera for the first time so far. Um, and for our debut on camera, we have a special guest. He was the Miami Dolphins' first-round pick in 1990. He is a seven-time All-Pro and a uh, Pro Bowler, excuse me, two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, and a member of the 1990s All-Decade team. Please welcome Miami Dolphin great Richmond Webb. Thank you for joining Jordan. us. Richmond. Hey, Jordan, Britt, how y'all doing? Good to be here. Thanks for having how me are on you? the show. Good, 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 good. So before we get into Dolphin talk, I do have to ask, because I'm a big college football fan. Okay. Uh, I know Texas A&M. What, in your opinion, went, ended up going wrong in the Jimbo Fisher era, and what makes Mike Elko the, uh, <clears throat> the perfect guy to get you guys to where you want to go? Uh, I, I think, you know, I was, I still have a lot of respect for, uh, coach Fisher. Um, you know, things he did at, um, Florida state, you know, won a national championship there. And then, um, you know, even before that, he was with coach Saban at LSU and he was offense coordinator when they won a, you know, national championship there. So, you know, he had the pedigree and it seemed like, you know, things kind of got started off good the first few years and then it, it kind of leveled off, but um, I don't know exactly what happened, but I think some of the alumni would, just wasn't happy with the production or, or the way it was going. I, I think they were expecting results a little bit quicker than what he was able to achieve, and I think they went in a different direction. And um, I knew Mike Elko. He was Coach Elko. He was the defense coordinator before he took that Duke job under Coach Fisher, so he was familiar with some of those players that are still on that team. But from I hadn't met him personally, but from what I see, um, he really hit it hard in the portal and started addressing needs that I think could make a difference. I think um, we signed a lot of uh, defensive backs. We signed some offensive linemen, and, and, and those were some of the issues that I think cost us games uh, this past year in um maybe you know that that's the first thing i seen so maybe players wouldn't get developed like you know they were expecting to because we've always had really good players but we just hadn't really been getting guys drafted higher in the in the draft you know like i think the type of talent we have but uh one thing i think coach echo said was you know we're gonna quit talking about texas a&m giving the lip service and we're just gonna show you what you're gonna do so um, I think he did a really good job in the portal as far as signing guys, bringing along, and now he's just got to be able to get everybody to come together, play as one, buy into the vision, and hopefully he can get the program turned around. We do have a website. Jordan actually did uh, predict that Elko would go to uh, Texas a and before it happened, too, so give my co-host a little shout-out there. It, it's you funny, Richard, if I give you a little insight to how things work <laughs> on this podcast, we yeah. are a Dolphins podcast that's having a Dolphins all-time great on the podcast, and okay. Brett was most excited to ask you about Texas A&M. Yeah. <laughs> and and Brett, Brett, who is your who is your team you follow in college football? National champs, baby, Michigan. Michigan, go blue. Okay, congratulations. That was they put together a hell of a run. They had a really good team, and. Uh, it went down to the wires. Pretty good uh, national championship game. Matter of fact, it was right here in Houston. So, yeah, yeah congratulations to Michigan. One of my cousins 
he flew in from Atlanta and um, he grew up in Jersey, but uh, his family is from uh, Flint, Michigan. And so he grew up, his dad raised him a, a, a Wolverine and uh, man, he was so hyped, came down, actually got a chance to, you know, go to the game and then go to the team hotel and take pictures with a lot of players. So he was on cloud nine after that. So yeah, he had a really good time. I mean, really good time. So that's that's big time. Yeah. Funny story. The first Michigan game I ever went to was a uh, season opener, 2007, the App State okay. game. Well, don't, don't mention App State to me. They put a knot on our head. I still remember. <laughs> yeah, they aren't fun. But, uh, yeah, like you said, great end of the year for us. And it uh, actually helped me cope with the end of the Dolphins season because I don't know how you, you feel, Richmond, but this was one of the most fun I've had watching the Dolphins. Mm -hmm. uh, really, uh, since you and Dan were uh, – Dan Marino was still here, uh, I was – I was I was like nine back then, but uh, what like what was your emotion going through the season? Like you you see this record-setting team most of the year, and then it just seemed like once December hit, everything yeah. fizzled out. And um, how much of that do you put on injuries, and how much do you just say we got punched in the mouth and didn't adjust? I, I think it was a little bit of both. In, injuries definitely played a part. Um, especially defense, you know, you lose, you lose Phillips, then you lose Chubb, then we lose Van, Van Ginkle. And then we lost, you know, X, you know, with the foot injury, um, Javon Holland with the, with, uh, the knee, he was kind of fighting through that. So really on the defensive side of the ball, we had a bunch of injuries and then offensively, you know, we had, you know, musical chairs with the offensive line. We had so many different combinations of guys, but, for the most part, we made it through that okay. And then, you know, I think Tyreek missed a couple games, Waddle. But uh, the, the offense was kind of coming back together toward the end of the season. And then um, you could really seem like the defense made growth once um, Jalen Ramsey, his first game, I mean, he just made a huge impact on the defensive side of the ball. And that's what we thought we were missing. And, and things were starting to go as we, we – everybody thought it would and then like you said in december you know i think first it was the tennessee game uh i thought that was a game that we possibly should have won we lose that one and then um God, i think we won the next game but then to lose to buffalo and then you know to kansas city and and not so much that those are not good teams but i think it was oh it was, uh baltimore also but um you know, I think what really got the fans down was the the December record, December, January record, and knowing that we had a opportunity that if we take care of business, we could have had home field throughout the playoffs or even a number two seed and to let that slip away. And injuries do play a factor, but uh, I think offensively, we just wouldn't get enough production. And I thought we could have got more production. Um, and I think that's why it was so tough to take. And even with when we lost to Kansas City, I knew we were injured. I knew we were limping in the game. But I, you just expected us to score more than seven points or be a little bit more efficient on offense. And I think that's why it's so hard on Dolphin fans because you could see that we were right there and then it just it just plummeted. And I think that's why it was so tough. Yeah. So, Richmond, and that was – you hit the nail right on the head. Um, 
as a, a former offensive lineman, as a, a great offensive lineman, you mentioned that it was almost musical chairs for the Dolphins' offensive line this season. Um, that's not something new for Dolphin fans. I mean, we've signed free agents, both big money and small money. We've drafted guys high. We've drafted guys middle rounds, late. Um, we've had different position coaches. Um, it, it seems like the Dolphins for the last however many years have struggled to field um, a good offensive line. Um, what to you, uh, being a great offensive lineman, are the keys to building um, a really good offensive line? Well, I, I take my hat off to the coach this year because with what we had to deal with to, to have that unit perform as well as they did this year, um, I, I, it, I really got, I mean, I, I'm really, I'm not beating up on them. I just know that the injuries did affect, you know, losing Connor Williams. Uh, we lost Robert Hunt for a little bit. Um, uh, Eichenberg, Teron Armstead, he was in and out. But um, I think the thing I was really happy about, and I saw it the year before, was um, I thought Austin Jackson had a Pro Bowl-type year. I just think that if we win a couple more games, he possibly makes the Pro Bowl. But um, if you watch his play, and even last year, I think the thing that slowed him down last year was that high ankle sprain, and he couldn't kind of recover from that. But if you want, he balled out this year. And then, so that solidified our two, you know, tackle positions. And, you know, at time, Lamb came in and filled in a good quality backup. But um, I think the thing with offensive line is just having really good communication and being able to trust the guy that you're playing, playing beside. And, you know, I had that with, you know, Keith Sims for eight years. You know, we played side by side and, you just feel more comfortable because you, you you build that chemistry and you build that trust. And sometimes, you know, I could just look at Keith and he could look at me and we knew what each other were thinking. And when you can develop that, it makes it so much easier to get your job done and knowing that, you know, if this happens, this guy's going to do this or that happens to him, you know, I'm going to do that. So I think that's one of the key things. But um, as much, like I said, musical chairs we had, the guys came in and, and you know, some guys moved from, at some time, they was, I think Eichenberg was some time at guard and he had to play center. So, you know, for a guy to be that interchangeable, and a lot of times it was guys that were backups that had to come into the game where normally if you're backup, you typically don't get that many reps. It's more mental reps for the backups during our team period and stuff. So for them to perform the way they did, I was, I was truly impressed and I, I took my hat off to those guys. But, but those are some of the things, communication, and just getting a feel and an understanding of what we're trying to do and all the same things. That's vital to good offensive line play. Um, Richmond, before I throw it back to Brett, do you believe in curses? Mm, no. You don't believe in curses? So I don't know if you know, but the Dolphin fans have this conspiracy theory. There are two of them that I've seen. Number one okay. uh, is that Don Shula sold his soul to go undefeated, and that's why the Dolphins haven't won a Super Bowl is that he – sold his soul, which caused the undefeated season, and the Dolphins haven't had success since. But we'll leave that one away. The other one is that when Hard Rock Stadium was built, um, it, I don't know if you're aware of this, it was actually built on um, Tequestan Indian burial grounds. Um, and the legend has it that because the season before, um, the Dolphins had made the Super Bowl and hadn't reached that success since, um, that the Dolphins were possibly cursed by the Tequesta Indians. Um, so me, I like to give a little recognition to the Tequesta Indians just in case that exists. 
um, because I would like all that bad juju to leave the Dolphins. Um, but something I noticed in doing a little uh, research and prep before this um, is that the last year the Dolphins made the playoffs and won a playoff game, you were on the team. Um, so I wonder if there's maybe like a curse of Richmond Webb no. That, because you <laughs> left the Dolphins, uh, we haven't been able to reach that level of success again. You know, uh, I, I did just find out about they built the stadium. I think it was, I think last week, I think my wife was reading an article or something. And I never knew that the, the you know, the 11 years I played there that, you know, they actually, that was a like cemetery or burial site. And they built the stadium on top of it and, you know, I, I I wouldn't say it's cursed, but I just don't think, you know, if you know now, it's not the right thing to do. But, you know, hey, when people have plans for designs, you know, you see it not only with cemeteries, but, you know, a lot of time they'll go and take um, people's property and they'll raise the taxes where they can't afford them or something and clear it because now it's become a prime property and they they want to have another use for it. But um, I just found out about that last week. But uh, I, I can't say I, that's the first I heard about the uh, coach Shula sold his soul and, and <laughs> excuse me to go to undefeated. And uh, I know he was, you know, devout Catholic, you know, was always, you know, doing things to help people. So. That, that's a new one on me, and, and but we're not going to start the Richard Webb curse. If anything, <laughs> so, so to clear it up, you didn't curse at all. Yeah. No, no, I didn't. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. <laughs> you did sign him to a, Richmond to a one-day contract. I remember, so he could retire a dolphin. So any curse should have ended, ended right then and there. No question, and, and you know what I tell people. You know, I I understand it. It's a business, and sometimes you got to make tough decisions, but. Um, you know, they, they welcome me back with open arms and, and I, I think sometimes you got to take the, the emotions out of it because, you know, they're trying to run a business and some, sometimes it's not going to work out between the player and the organization and snap it. It was never personal. You know, they didn't go out and, you know, belittle me in the press and vice versa. I didn't do that. I just understood we couldn't get it worked out, but, um, I got an opportunity to go play two more years in the NFL, which. I'm definitely thankful for that. But when I finished playing, to be able to come back and, and retire as a Dolphin because this, you know, even though I went and played somebody, I still would root for the Dolphins because that's where I spent the majority of my career, you know, teammates, friends, uh, guys that I just played with. So um, they were more than happy to welcome me back and sign me, you know, to that one-day contract. And uh, I'm, I'm always grateful for that. So I definitely appreciate that. That's good. Um to go off, uh, we're talking about Coach Shula. Do you see any similarities between Coach Shula and Coach McDaniel? And um, if you were playing, you talked about you and Keith Sims earlier. How much fun would you guys have playing in this offensive system? Uh, I, I think I, – I mean, I love the offensive system. It's something that's totally different. I, I think the thing that's probably similar to them is that they both – definitely want to win and, and they're highly competitive coaches. I think Coach McDaniel, I hadn't met him personally, but just kind of watching him, I think he's a highly intelligent guy. Um, but um, I think he's more um, friendly or friendly atmosphere, you know, with the guys on the team, this and that, where 
um, you know, Coach Shulu, you know, he he was uh, he was tough. And uh, but I think once you kind of figured out he was hard on us, but he truly cared about his players. It was a different style of coaching, but um, he demanded excellence. Uh, he always focused on the little things, the mental errors, the penalties, the little things that could get you beat in the game. And I think that's why um, we were so successful all the time because it's not making all the big plays. It's the little things. It's, it's, it's making penalties, you know, whether it's offsides or, you know, roughing a guy or, or, or penalties that's unnecessary. Those were the things or not knowing your assignment, this and that, you know, not only can you have a play for a loss, but you can really get somebody hurt. So that was always harped on and, and, and he took that real serious, but it helped me as far as, you know, transition into life after football, because I, I still use some of those principles, even outside of football. And I think that's why coach Shula was, so successful once he transitioned out of football into the steakhouse and all that he figured out what worked he, he you know he was a big uh philanthropist you know always taught us about giving back to people that was less fortunate um it was just little things and he always encouraged that and i'm glad he did because i think it just makes you a, a better well-rounded individual when you have an opportunity to be a blessing sometime and it's not always about giving money but sometimes just spending time with somebody visiting a local hospital or people that's less fortunate, that 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 means the world. And, and, and sometimes you can't put a price on that. So I learned so many valuable things from Coach Shula that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I played for him. He was tough. I mean, he was tough, but it, it took me a few years to figure it out that he really did care about his players. But yeah, he was he was rough. But once I figured that out, I was like, OK, I can. I can deal with it because I know you truly do care about us. It was so, tough for him or Dan. Well, Dan was cool until he got pissed off. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, the thing with Dan was another person that's just highly competitive. And uh, he, would, he would get pissed off and you could see it in his eyes. And uh, I, I tell people a lot of times, you know, the first time, we work on the two minute drill during practice. And I think me and Keith was rookies. And the first time we actually had to do it in a game, it happened so fast and we scored a touchdown so quick. I couldn't believe it, but that's what he expected to do. You know, we were, we were blocking and then, so we would go back, he would throw the ball 15, 20 yards at the field. So now we got to try to run, get on the ball. By the time we get on the ball, he, he's already called a play. We snapped the ball again. And it was like either the defense was gonna have to call a timeout or whatever because he would just he would just rip a defense to shreds. And it was like Dan was one of those guys that if you blitzed him, you, you made him pay. But if you sat back, he was still gonna make you pay. So it was like you just gotta choose: do you want to die a slow death or do you want to die fast? When he was just man, some of the stuff we seen him do early on. I you know I look back at it now. Just I'm glad I was fortunate to play with a guy like that because. I mean, I was I was almost in unbelief, unbelief that we scored that quick first couple times, and then you kind of get spoiled because you get used to it. But um, people would people would always say, "Why don't y'all do that all the time?" And I was like, "Well, no, nah, we can't because if we score that quick all the time, our defense is gonna be out of gas. We gotta we gotta slow it down. But when you need it, when you got a weapon like that, it, it's, it's great to have. I, I do I can't say that." 
So you mentioned um, how it took a little while um, to truly understand coach and that he loved his players and cared about his players. Um, I, I think that we're in such a different type of society now and, and mindset now. Um, do you think a coach like that, um, who was so demonstrative and so tough on his players, but for the right reasons, um, do you think that would translate to today's athlete? Or do you think um, that there would be some struggle in, in shifting that um, to today? So I, I think it'll, I think it'll work. I think, um, you have to work what's what what works for you, and, and the thing I can't say about that, and and I tell I tell my kids, I tell people all the time. I said it's not that a coach is being hard on you, but if a coach is hard on you to get the to, to get you to become excellent and be the very best you can be, as long as you you feel he's genuinely doing that, you'll trust him. But if you think it's just he's doing it and it's it's, it's BS you'll lose the locker room and you'll never get it back because they won't trust you. And, you know, you can look at the success like Alabama. I believe Jim Harbaugh is one of those type of coaches. I think he's tough on his players, but his players genuinely do believe that he truly cares for them. So that's why they buy into it because it's not him just being a hard ass. It's him. This is where he is, but at the end of the day, you know he genuinely cares about you. And I think as long as you get players to understand that, they'll, they'll put it on the line for you. So you just got you can't try to be Jim Harbaugh or, or Nick Saban or Don Shula if that's not your coaching style because it's not gonna work because people gonna figure it out and be like, no, he's trying to be something he's not, and then you'll you'll lose the locker room. So you got to be who you are and let that work for you. Um, and then something else you brought up was that two minute drill and and being an offensive lineman in the two minute drill has got to be interesting because I mean you're setting up, ball gets snapped, you block, get off your block run up to the line, you set up, you block, run up to the line, you block. Um, and I'm sure as a big offensive line, uh, you have always had that kind of uh, vision in your mind of being labeled that six tackle um, and going out and flaring out and catching a touchdown pass. Um, so something somebody told me to ask you, um, uh-huh. would you would you give up one of your Pro Bowl appearances – in order to have scored one touchdown in one NFL game? No. I, I would have wanted to do it, but I wouldn't have gave it up. And I, I gave you a perfect example. I, I remember, I think it was, I want to say it was last year. I think Robert Hunt, you remember he he caught the ball uh-huh. and he tried to run and he, got, uh-huh. he got flipped. That was cool. And, and I met him a couple of times and I told him, I say, I, that, I'm living my dream through you, bro. Because I didn't, I didn't get the experience, but I don't want to get hit like that. I just want to catch the ball, and, and you know, I'm already in zone, and I can just put the ball up and maybe spike it. But I mean, to see him get hit, flipped, and then come down and still hold on to the ball, I was like, that was that was that was big time. But um, I think it would be pretty cool. You know, some guys have had an opportunity to do that, but um, I didn't. But no, I'm happy. I, I just, as long as we win, this and that, because I would have hated to be the guy. They call it play, and then Marino throw the ball out there, and I drop it, and I'd be like, oh, man, it's just that that would have been hard on me. So, so sometimes it's better not to experience some stuff, but kind of just live it out in your mind and say, well, yeah, I would have did that, but no, I, I'm cool. I, I'm good with that. Now, hypothetical, you catch the touchdown pass. Marino throws it, you catch it. Mm-hmm. Is Richmond Webb dancing or is Richmond Webb handing the ball back to the ref? 
what's Richmond Webb doing when he scores a touchdown? Definitely not dancing. <laughs> it's too it's too many people watching. It's too many people watching. Definitely not dancing. Uh I would say either handing it uh to the ref or if I'm pissed off, I probably would spike it. It just depends on who we play in. And, and and what whatever you know, guys been talking trash on the other side. Just depends, but it's either hand the ball to the ref or, or, or spiking the football. Yeah, you're talking about Robin Hunt. Of course, we know he's a free agent. That's that's my number one priority is making sure we keep him because, like you mentioned before, we've struggled to find good offensive linemen. But yeah. to go with the guy who was drafted in the same class, you talked about Austin Jackson earlier. How he's improved. I think to a lot of people, it was a very pleasant surprise because we declined his fifth-year option. He was unfortunately looked at as a bust for early on in his career. And then to see him step up when we we needed someone, as you mentioned, we had all these offensive line injuries. I was ready, waiting for them to call you to come in and play a game or two at offensive <laughs> line because uh, we were just missing that many people. Um, what changes did you see in – and Austin Jackson, because you even talked about how, despite the injuries last year, he he looked a lot better. Um, is it just getting in a position that he was comfortable in at right tackle? Is it just a change in technique? Um, from your point of view, what did you see from him? Yeah, uh, I can remember when we drafted Robert. Uh, I mean, not Robert, but uh, Austin Jackson. And um, the thing I remember seeing his clips, very athletic, could move. I mean, just amazing. So he had the athletic ability. It wasn't a question whether he could play. The thing that 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 stood out to me when we drafted him, he was 20 years old. So I think it was just he didn't have, I don't know how long he played at USC, if he played two full years or just one full year, but just getting some more experience on his belt. And then I remember when he first came in, they, they had him at uh, – left tackle, left guard, and, you know, he did okay, but you could tell he was still – I think he was just a raw talent. And then once he kind of went to the right side, the right tackle, I think he started to find his niche and started working in and this and that. Like I said, that, not this year, but the year before, he was he started out good and had the high ankle sprain. But um, I think you've seen everything come to fruition this year is, you know, he just balled out, and I think he's found that – that comfort spot, the right side, this and that. And, and some guys play the right better than the left, this and that. But it, it took a little bit to figure out. But as far as athletic ability and skill set, he's had that from day one. I, I think it was just – he was just a raw talent being drafted at 20 years old most of the times. You know, you're 21, 22. And, um, but he's got it together. But you're right. And, and that's the other thing is when you're struggling – and you got the pressure of being a first-round pick, and everybody expects you to come in from day one and just, boom, get it, your first-round pick. And it didn't happen that way. And then, you know, you can say you don't listen to what the fans say or the, or the social media and stuff like that. I'm sure some of that stuff leaked back to them. So now you're fighting about what you, what's you hearing in your ear about people saying you're a bus or whatever, and you're trying to work your tail off to become, you know, the player that you know you can be. I think it just took a little bit, but I'm glad he didn't he didn't get discouraged. He kept working on his craft and it came together and, and that's why I'm so happy for him because a lot of people, you know, they give up on you quick because they just want instant results just like that. Boom, boom, boom. And it didn't happen. But 
I think now everybody's happy with Austin Jackson. Yeah. Um, so and, you mentioned Austin kind of finding his footing on the right on the right side. Um, if Teron Armstead does decide to retire, uh, obviously opens up a big hole at left tackle. Um, do you think that they should just leave Austin Jackson at right tackle um, and leave that alone because he he performed well there? Or do you think there's a conversation of do you bring him back to the left side, um, which was his original position? I would leave Austin Jackson at the right side. And the only reason I say that is Tua is a left-handed quarterback, so he's basically the blindside quarterback for Tua. So since he's so well and he's performed at a high level at that position, I would probably just leave him over there and look to fill that void on the other side. And um, you're talking about switching positions, uh, Austin Jackson's switching positions, Eichenberg switched positions a lot. Uh, just from your perspective, can you explain what the biggest challenge is for an offensive lineman just move, having to move around, like technique-wise, just movement, anything like that? Yeah, it's, it's – it's, um, um, everything is opposite. So if you're used to playing on the right side, um, the plays that go to the right, those are your dominant plays. So on the right side, you're, you're working on side, but on if you're left side tackle, that's your that's your backside weak. So you normally kind of cutting off stuff like that, and and vice versa. So vice versa the other way. But then when you pass block, your foot, your your um, if you're on the right side, you're normally pushing off your inside, which is your left leg. But then you go to the left, your inside leg is your right. So it's different in the pass set, this and that. And I think it's harder for a starter because that's where you're getting all your reps at on that side. That's how you're getting your reps on that side. But if you're backup, you got to be able to kind of work this side, that side, or you got to work multiple positions. So a lot of times it's a little easier on a guy that's a backup because most of the time he's not going to play. And if he does, he might have to finish a game or something like that. But when you're the starter and then they say, okay, You've been on the right side. Now, all of a sudden, once you go to the left side, it could feel it could feel a little awkward. It, it, it just takes time to get used to it. Like I was on the left side my whole career, and as a matter of fact, it happened to me my last game in Cincinnati. The right tackle got hurt, and we had a we had a uh, a rookie offensive lineman. So the coach sent him in put him at left and, and told me to go to right. And I said, what? <laughs> you want me to go to right? And uh, uh, end up going to the right and end up, you know, tearing my pec muscles and snap. And so I just didn't feel comfortable over there because I've been over there for like 12, 13 years and to make that switch. So um, I think if you have time in the off season to make it, he possibly could do it. I'm not saying he can't do it, but when you get a guy that's playing that that well and at that high level, I say leave him where he's at, and then you can get somebody to play the other side. Do you think we bring Connor Williams back, or do we look in a draft for a center? Or do you get like a chance? I, I, I think we bring Connor Williams back. You know, the thing is, uh, they may, and the sad part about it is, with him getting hurt, that probably hurts his value a little bit. And I think. Um, you could bring Connor Williams back, and we know he can play guard. We know he can play center, and so now you got two positions. Do you leave Eichenberg in there and, and, and let him fill one of those, 
or you you got two you either got a left guard left tackle field or center left tackle to field with the snap but i'm thinking with him getting hurt unfortunately that his market market value may be down so it might be a little bit easier to sign connor williams because he was he was playing really good ball and you could tell it was a drop off when he wasn't at center um in there so hopefully we can work some out with him and hopefully you know where it's even if it's not what he wants it's not where he has a bad taste in his mouth you know behind the negotiations and stuff you know as long as you can kind of work it out because in the negotiations, rarely you get everything you want. The team gets everything you want. It's it's a you, you got to bend a little bit. So I'm just hoping they can work that out and get him back because he was really he was really played really well for us. Yeah, it always feels like people talk about center being the second most important position on the offensive line, usually behind left tackle. But it feels like every team wants to invest in that left tackle, but they wanna they want to do the money ball for center. And it always seems like it ends up hurting you long term. What well, what well, the thing people don't understand about center? Center is like the quarterback for the offensive line. I mean, we'll walk up a lot of times. The center have to identify the front, and then once he identifies it, we make our calls from 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 that. You know, what I'm saying he might identify who the Mike linebacker is, whatever. Name. Okay, now we know who we got this and that. So it's a vital role, and. Yeah, I, I played with some really, really good ones. Um, Jeff Ulanek, Dellenbach, and then, of course, Tim Ruddy. I mean, that guy was – Ruddy was so smart. Went to Notre Dame, engineering degree. <laughs> um, it just it just makes your job easier when you get a guy that's really, really smart like that and really, really good player. So, yeah, it, it's very important. Yeah, very I heard important. some Patriot defenders say that Tim Ruddy was the smartest offensive lineman. That oh, some of the defenders goodness. for Patriots talk about him, like the Tom Brady talks about Zach. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, yeah. What they say, believe it. He was, he was that, he was that type of guy. Yeah, he made he made our job a lot easier because a lot of times I can only see half of the line, but with him being dead center, he might know if it's an over under front. You know, he's going to identify it. And like that, you know what I'm saying? Because you, a lot of times you don't have a lot of time. He makes a call, boom. We look and say, okay, we got to go. Then we can go. So, yeah, he was worth his weight and go. Tim was Tim. That's my man right there. And I think the one question we now have to ask is the one I think all Dolphin fans are talking about. Prior okay. tired of talking about is Tua. Uh -oh. Looking okay. at how he's from your point of view, what he improved the most on not just from last year to this year, but even going back to Coach Flo's last year, and what you think he needs to work on going into next year. Because it feels like – well, not just feels like, but the end of the year was so disappointing for him after such a great great start, even though he did lead the league in uh, passing. And Jordan and I have talked about in, this, in the past, the one thing that he and I personally want to see is get away from those pre – all those pre-snap reads because it felt like towards the end of the season – we rely. We were relying too much on the pre-snap stuff and not enough on improv or making more reads throughout the game. So I was kind of curious on your opinion on that. Yeah, I, I you know, I always liked Tua when he was at, um, you know, Alabama. Uh, watched him uh, several times. <laughs> so I was I was happy that we drafted him. And then, like I say, even with Coach Flores, I thought the first year. I was surprised we played him that early 
because Fitzpatrick was playing really well, and I knew how serious of an injury uh, that hip injury was. This and that, but he came and played a few games, and then um, last year, you know, he was playing well, and then had the, the issues with the concussions. Uh, and then this past year, I think the thing was, I think he just became a smarter football player as far as um, knowing when to get down. You're not going to make every first down, you know, get rid of the ball. If it's not there, go to the sideline. But don't take those unnecessary hits from those big defensive linemen. So I, I was happy to see that. Um, I think the thing toward the end of the year, like you said, the, the, the pre-snap stuff, um, I think the thing was it seems like at times um, we didn't make adjustments quick enough. It was like I think sometimes the second half of the season seemed like the defenses were more in tune to what we were trying to do to them after like a f- couple of series or whatever. And I think, you know, whether it was, you know, shortening the route or, or, or like you said, instead of just having pre-impromptu, go to impromptu where, okay, hit who's ever open, this and that, let's let's mix it up, let's change it up, you know, maybe shorten the routes or something. I think we needed to make adjustments and make them quicker. And I think that, I think that affected him as well because sometimes it seemed like it took a while if we decided to make adjustments. And then by that time, we couldn't get back in the rhythm of it. So I think with, with him and Coach McDaniel, they get together and, you know, as long as they can have an honest conversation, I think like this year he can say, well, I like this play, or I don't I don't really like this play, even though sometimes you got to run plays you don't like, but in certain situations, you can say, well, I like either this, 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 or this, and I think that's a communication thing that's got to be developed more between him and Coach McDaniel, and he can look and say, okay, I can see why you say that, this and that, and mix some of that in, and you just got to be able to, to continue to make adjustments along the game to keep keep it going. And I think I think at times we struggled at that late in the year, and I think that's why our offensive production fell off. Um, so you mentioned the uh, it taking too long to make adjustments kind of on the fly. Is that something that's more on Tua? Is that something that's more on McDaniel? Or is that something, like you said, that it's about having an honest conversation between the two of them um, and getting on the same page? Well, I, I think Coach McDaniel – it, either he calls a plays or somebody in the press box calls a play. So um, I think that's probably more coaching than probably Tua because if Tua was calling his own plays, then I could say, well, either he's not seeing something or whatever, and then there's a conversation saying, hey, I know you want to do this, but this is what they're doing to us. You know, the safeties are rolling back or they're doing every time we do this, we get in this formation, we're doing that, so we need to adjust and go to this. That's the conversation needs to happen between them, but I think it's more coaching because I don't think Tua calls his own plays. I think they send the play in, he calls it, and then he tries to orchestrate it from that point. Makes sense. Um, so, again, I want to thank you for coming on with us. Um, I have two questions uh, just very quickly before we send you off. Um, the end of the season, obviously, um, it's noted that a lot of players get other players' gifts. Um, a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of time, will get their offensive linemen gifts or or give them things at the end of the season. Um, so two-part question. Number one, what was the best gift that you ever received from a teammate? And number two, what was the weirdest gift that you've ever received from a teammate? <laughs> uh, I, I think the second one is I don't think I received any 
weird gifts, but um, I know Marino. He, he got us the gloves. He got us some cowboy boots. The gloves. Uh, got some cowboy boots one year. I think maybe some little video cameras. Um, and then when I was in Cincinnati, John Kidna bought bought us watches. Um, so I always got really good gifts. I don't think I got any bad gag gifts, which is unfortunate for that. But yeah, that's that's what I remember. But um, yeah, you know, anytime somebody gives you something to let you know they appreciate, you know, what you've done, this and that, that that's always huge. So um, yeah, I always got really good gifts and guys are really good to me. So I appreciate that. Okay. Um, I just came up with one question and then I'll let, we'll let you go. Cause we do appreciate your time, Richmond throughout your career, going from college dolphins and Cincinnati, you can do mm-hmm. your all time starting offensive line. And they all have to be people you have played with. What would your starting five be? Ooh. Ooh. Mm. Of course, I'm just very angry. Okay. So, so I, I, man, that, that's tough. Me and Keith at, at, at right and left. Uh, I'd probably say Ruddy at um, center. Um, trying to think right guard. Uh, well, it's a top of my, 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 I played with some good right tackles. I played with. James Brown, Ron Heller, and Willie Anderson from from Cincinnati, and I think Willie, I think he's a finalist for the for the uh, Hall of Fame. So I'd probably say Willie Anderson at right tackle, right guard. Ooh, mm. so I played with uh, Harry. Man, I played. Man, I played with Harry Bigogan. Uh, Kevin Donnelly. Yeah, all I got is five. <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, I'm gonna go with Harry. He, he passed away, so I'm gonna go with Harry Galbraith from the Dolphins. So yeah, that's a, that's my five right there. Yeah. I had to give you a tough one at the end there, man. That, that was tough. Yeah, you put the pressure on me there. I tried to have fun and ask you about gifts. Yeah. I, I got to watch Brad. I didn't know he's going to do me like that. I got to send my people to come touch him up a little bit. Well, it was funny because we were beforehand, we were, we have a discord and we were just joking around and I was asking trivia questions. Like, did you know there's only four Dolphins of all time to win uh, rookie of the year, either offensive or defensive? I did not know that. Yeah. And Marino's not one of them. Okay. So who, 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 are, the other, who, who are the other three? Cause I, yeah. Well, he didn't do it. It was um, Tim Bowens. Timbo, my man. Yeah. Uh, AJ Dewey. Okay, I know AJ. And uh, Dick Anderson. Winning the Ring of Honor with Dick Anderson. I know him too. Wow. Okay. Okay. But cool deal. Yeah, I love the trivia. Love all that kind of stuff. Love, <laughs> love the list. But on that, uh, Mr. Webb, we will let you go. Thank you okay. so much. Is there anything you want to promote while you're with us? No, man, I, I appreciate y'all having me on the show. You know, it was fun. Um, I'm loving the, the that's the first time I've seen somebody use the, the stadium as a background. <laughs> like he's he's writing the stadium, so that's pretty cool. I've been trying not to just lock in on that, but that's that's cool. It was fun. 
and uh, had a good time. So thank you for having me on, on your show. And and now uh, I'm, I'm good. I appreciate everything. Thank we you so much. We appreciate you so much, Richmond. Okay. Y'all have a good day. You too. Right. too. Thank you. All right. Hey, that was Richmond Webb. Must follow for all Dolphin fans. He will. He interacts with fans. He's such a great follow at Richmond Webb, and he does host his own podcast with uh, the Reason, who many people may know. It is um, called the Finish Line, and that is P H I N I S H. So make sure you do tune in to Richmond as well as follow him on Twitter. Um, Brett, and we won't stay on much longer, and, and we'll close the episode on this. Um, I was very excited to have him come on, um, but he he blew me away. I, I thought that was awesome, um, and um, shout out to Richmond Webb for, for coming on and having fun and talking Dolphins. Um, it, yeah. It's always great looking back and, and seeing the guys that came through the organization um, and how highly he spoke about being a Miami Dolphin. That was, to me, the the – Little kid in me going to Dolphin Stadium was very excited to, to do that. Yep. And to hear him talk about how well he's treated by the organization too, like like you said, we've had so much pain as Dolphin fans just through playoffs and tough seasons and bad draft picks. Just to hear – you just forget about how good the team is to the people who were here before. And I thought he had it. Great insight to so many players. He didn't – it was stuff that we've talked about in our group. You and I have talked about on the podcast. But just to hear him say it as a player and how he spoke about it as a player made things make a little bit more sense. So you know what the interesting note was to me? What's that? Uh, John Kitna gives better gifts than Dan Marino. John Kitna gave him a watch and Dan Marino gave him cowboy boots? Cowboy boots are expensive. Like my dad gets cowboy boots. They you can spend a couple grand on grand down there. Uh, Zach, I know, is in the background uh, down in downtown Charleston, which is about a forty-five minute drive from where my dad and Zach also down there lives. There is a shop right on the main street down there that is nothing but cowboy boots, and they go from two hundred to two grand. All right. Well, I'm sorry to Cowboys. My bad. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Like Jordan said, that this was our episode. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure you guys, if you watch the video, have seen Jordan and I just had these big shit-eating grins on our face the whole time. Uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to Richmond. I think next week we're just going to give our great, probably give our grades and maybe start previewing the draft a little bit, right? Yeah, I think next week is going to be the grading week. Um, and then from there, we'll really dive into the offseason. I know um, we've talked and we have a lot of cool things planned. Um, starting with the launch of us being on camera um, and really heading into what we're going to do over the offseason um, and as we move towards what will hopefully be a very successful 2024 season. Absolutely. Once again, thank you to Mr. Richmond Webb. My name is Brett. That's Jordan this way. And Zach is producing as always, our producer yeah. extraordinaire. He's down there somewhere. Remember, we are the list and we are watching. Zach, post-produce that music. <laughs> <laughs>